The fabulous 413 podcast is funded by Northeast Solar, offering solar options, energy security, and solutions for the local community. Learn more at northeast-solar.com. Welcome to the Fabulous 413. I'm Kalee Smith. And I'm Monty Belmonte. Today's show is enveloped in evergreens, all about the treetops and what you might find at their bottoms. We'll head over to the Festival of Tree at the Mass Trees at the Mass Mutual Center. More than one. Yes. More than one tree. <laughs> right down the road from the NEPM studios to chat with the folks there who've been putting on the event for over 20 years, raising funds for the Springfield Boys and Girls Club with the help of some local businesses and families and a veritable pile of volunteers. Festival Chair Stacy Megara gives us a tour of the Tannenbaums on display. And Mr. Universe, Hampshire College's Salman Hamid puts on his film buff hat and gives us the rundown on American Buffalo, the latest from one of that institution's most famous or perhaps infamous alum, Ken Burns. But first, holiday times out west with more trees. Tis the season for a local hero spotlight with Jacob Nelson of CESA, the local hero folks, and Missy Lieb of Ioka Valley Farm in Hancock, where we're going to talk about cut your own Christmas trees. Cleese, do you have a Christmas tree tradition? I don't. Not since becoming like an actual adult have we had one in my house, but my family always puts a beer in the tree because of the song. Ah, (laughs) and a beer. In a tree, four pounds of back bacon, three French toast, two turtlenecks, and a beer in a tree. Oh, yeah, I remember that song. We usually do ours on the weekend of the Hot Chocolate Run for Safe Passage, which is this weekend. But because we had a kid in college who was not going to be around for that weekend, we did it early. So our Christmas tree is already up. Missy, tell us about your Christmas tree farm in Hancock. We sell cut your own and fresh cut Christmas trees here over at the Ioka Valley Farm. We've been selling them since 1994. And this weekend, we've had one of our customers who have come every single year since we've opened. We do uh, annual Ioka decoration to go with each tree. And they were able to look on the board and confirm they had every single one still. They hadn't lost a one of them. Oh, my goodness. That's Whoa. great. What What was the first decoration? And what is the most current decoration? So the first decoration, of course, was a cow. Because <laughs> we were still m- milking cows at the time. So the Holstein cow was the very first ornament that went out. And this year, I'm not sure if I should share what the handmade ornament was because that's kind of a surprise oh. for those who come. They will try to have a bet on what it is before they arrive and see which family member guessed correctly. Ah. Um, I, I admire you leaving the magic. So last year was a tractor decoration that was actually styled and formatted from one of our tractors here at the farm that's a very sentimental tractor to us. So um, we try to make it personal. We try to keep it farm related and of course Christmas related. Well, that goes out my question of asking if you've gotten a pickle yet. <laughs> we no, we we don't we've never done an Ioka Valley farm pickle, but <laughs> yes, the pickle tradition has been celebrated here for many years. Yes. Tell us about the pickle tradition because I don't really know that much about it. So there is a pickle ornament and with it usually comes with the little card and instructions that you whoever is the master decorator hides the pickle. So the first person to find the pickle gets a little special gift that goes with the pickle gift. 
It took everything in my power not to comment on that Please particular don't. tradition. <laughs> we are speaking with Missy Lieb of Ioka Valley Farm in Hancock about their cut your own Christmas trees. And uh, you mentioned briefly your farm history where you were milking at the beginning when you were doing these the first year of Christmas trees in the 90s. And now you're, you're year-round agro-tourism and maple and more. Tell us about how your farm stays afloat when it's not Christmas tree cutting season. I married into the third generation here at Ioka Valley Farm. In 1936, it was bought by the Lieb family primarily as a dairy farm, and we milked all the way till 1996. The diversification into our other activities started prior to that um, with the planting of the first Christmas trees in the early 80s. And then our pumpkin season, which is our fall season activities that continues today. The pumpkin patch began in 1989. Then we Again, Christmas trees after Christmas will quickly pack up all the decorations and we move into our maple sugaring season, which we began in 1992. When we did sell the dairy cattle in 1996, we did renovations in the barn. So now we can offer pancake breakfasts while we are making maple syrup so people can come and watch us make maple syrup and enjoy a homemade pancake meal with us. And then our summer season offering that we offer to the public is what we call Uncle Don's Barnyard. And that's a petting and play area with a lot of educational signs, activities, and tidbits scattered through. So people can learn a little bit about the farm animals and farming activities and how things grow with a nice playground and lots of farm animals to visit. And then behind the scene farming, we still raise beef cattle. We also still grow the corn and hay crops to support that. So we do about 120 acres of hay and about 80 acres of the grain corn to feed the animals and sell the extra that we don't need. Were you there for the selling of the dairy herds? I'm a little afraid to ask because it's always sad cow stories. Yes. So I began being involved in the family in 1989. So the first little pumpkin patch they offered, I was just joining the family as the girlfriend at the time. <laughs> so we did. So my husband and I were a part of the evolution. We were married in 94. Um, we reached a crossroad where if we wanted to continue with the dairy herd, we would have had to have doubled in size. Mm -hmm. mm. And we had kind of enjoyed some of the diversification that we started. And we really felt that that deserved more energy and time. As a business plan, we did make the right decision at the right time. We're speaking with Missy Lieb of Ioka Valley Farm in Hancock and Jacob Nelson of CESA, the local hero folks. Missy, I, I think it's interesting that we often think about Christmas trees as one of the last crops in a calendar year that farms are, are harvesting locally here in the Berkshires and in the Valley. And then maple is one of the first crops that you get in the next year, both from trees. But it's cool that you guys are harvesting at the bookend of our calendar year from the woods on your property. And both of those crops you're sharing with people that are visiting you directly and, and um, getting to experience where all of that comes from. A lot of what you do is aimed at creating a very family-friendly experience. It's about offering that magic of Christmas in addition to the tree that you take home and decorate. My mother-in-law probably would have been an excellent school teacher because she started opening the doors as a dairy farm to let children know where milk comes from. So they were always very willing to, to host groups and to educate about the farming community then. And as we transitioned to each area, we wanted to continue with that because so few children really get hands-on farming experiences anymore. 
it's a little hard to throw a lot of education in the Christmas part, but you can actually go over and see where the Christmas trees are grown. And it just creates that family time. We, with the, between getting the ornament, we give out complimentary popcorn also. And then we have the sale of hot cocoa and cider donuts. So when families come together, they don't need to just grab a tree and go. We offer them the opportunity to pause for a minute. And next weekend is our special for breakfast with Santa. Santa is able to visit us on one weekend each year, and we serve a simple pancake breakfast to go along with that and the opportunity for the kids to take pictures and say hi to Santa while they're here. So cute. Santa's a busy guy, so yeah, only one weekend. It makes sense. It's a 364-day wind-up. We're speaking with Missy Lieb of Ioka Valley Farm in Hancock, where you can cut your own Christmas trees. I have some remedial Christmas tree questions that I think people might want to know about. First of all, what kind of trees are you growing there? Because there are different, I don't know if you call them strains or breeds of trees that some people like better than others for their own home for different reasons. So what kind do you got there, Missy? So the varieties we grow are Fraser fir, which is the primary one, the most popular. Mm -hmm. Then we have a Canaan fir, and we also do a concolor fir. The concolor fir has a longer needle, and their scent can sometimes be described as a citrusy scent to it mm. instead of just a true evergreen. But the most popular that people seek out is the Fraser. They're a very hardy tree. The needle retention is excellent on the fir trees. So we have moved to just growing those three varieties here. How long does it take for you to grow a Christmas tree to the point where it's going to be available for sale? Because this is not cows make milk and that milk could be available that day, theoretically. (laughs) That's not the way it works (laughs) with Christmas trees. No, it's approximately an eight-year commitment when you go to plant a tree. Some could be ready as early as six, depending on the size you want. Healthy growing seasons, you tend to grow about a foot a year if growing conditions are ideal. Some years we hit pretty good markers and other years we have more challenging growing conditions. So to get that every year for six or seven years in a row can be a challenge. Speaking of adverse growing conditions, do you see the effects the next year of a year that had wildly different climate things happening, kind of like this year with all the floods? What are the effects on a tree farm? So for the Christmas trees, it sometimes takes a little time to see the true effect of what problems weather can throw at us. Um, Last year, we were dealing with a very significant drought. So we were very concerned about how the trees would hold up being cut for Christmas and being able to be held in your home for six or eight weeks. We seem to fare okay. The flooding, we've been watching for water-related problems like a root rot condition and just excess fungus or moisture issue-related problems. So we keep a close eye on it. We manage what we can manage, but a lot of it is just riding the storm and hoping to minimize whatever loss we might have because there's there's approximately a 10% loss that you have from when you plant that's expect, you know, farmers expect a certain amount of loss that not every plant you put in is going to make it to the height you want to be a saleable tree. And Missy, I would love the idea of planting a, a tree in my yard and letting that grow into a Christmas tree, but I know that if I just planted it there, it probably wouldn't grow into the shape that I am accustomed to seeing a Christmas tree being. And I don't know if I would have the skill to train it to do that. I'm wondering, what do you do to make them look like we imagine them to be? 
every tree does get sheared. Sometimes the little ones, when you first plant, you're going to do minimal trimming because you want them to grow and, and fill in as heartily as they can. But you're going to want to watch your tops because sometimes a tree will want to have two or three grow straight up in the air and you want to train your tree to have just one top. Usually we shear generally around the 4th of July or a little later after the new growth has come and we're shaping them. So they do kind of grow in that triangular fluffy shape that we all like. Christmas in July makes a lot more sense now that you're out there in July making the Christmas trees look like Christmas trees. So I've never really understood <laughs> yes. what Christmas in July was all about, but now it t- makes total sense. So we, we work on soil health and trimming and just watching the health of the trees all year long. Do you do like garlands and cuttings and things for people to take to do crafts and or do them there at the farm as well? So we do some wreaths. My daughter makes all our Christmas wreaths that we sell for sale. So she has those available for sale to bring home. And she does have some plain ones, so you can always get one and decorate your own. Missy Lieb of Ioka Valley Farm in Hancock. I had heard years ago that if you put seven up in the water of your Christmas tree when it's in your house, that it will hold its needles longer. As a professional Christmas tree grower. I have heard the same thing about vodka. Ah, don't waste your vodka <laughs> now. Oh, my God. It's not a waste of vodka. <laughs> Is there any truth to either of these at home or, I guess, perhaps uh, legendary ways of keeping your trees holding their needles? Not. There are tree preservatives that are out there for sale. We find as long as you don't let your bowl of water run dry and the bottom of your tree seals back over, as long as you keep it drinking water, you're going to keep the needle retention either way. And of course, if you don't put it right near a direct heat source, so away from the radiators, away from your wood stove. So I could hang on to my 7-Up and my vodka and enjoy it separately from my Christmas tree. The vodka, I would definitely not even try that because that that does seem like a waste of a good vodka. (laughs) The 7-Up, if you want to play with it, you can try it. But yeah, some people say putting an aspirin in or some sugar water. There's all different little recipes that you can make your own we've never personally tried them we just stand by with hot tap water on the first drink so it opens up the pores at the bottom of your stump and then keep your bucket full and if it happens to dry out on you by mistake i would restart with another hot water drink to try to open those pores back up again that's a good pro tip i didn't know about hot water so there we go not boiling hot water just hot tap water okay noted in general, if you're if you're cutting your own tree from a, a local farm here in Western Massachusetts too, that's the freshest it's going to be, and that goes the longest way into keeping it fresh and keeping needles on the tree. If you're getting a pre-cut tree from a, a large farm out of state, I know around here on the East Coast, North Carolina and Michigan and Pennsylvania are some of the states that grow like millions and millions and millions of trees that are cut and shipped to nurseries up here. And some of these farms are so big, they're cutting them in early November or even October. And so cutting your own tree now, a month after that point, means it's gonna hold its needles a month longer perhaps. Yep. And even if you buy a fresh cut tree from one of your local farm stands, if you can just do a fresh cut on the bottom of that and put in hot tap water, um, if it's been stored and handled correctly, the tree will drink and the needles will stay. 
But if you're going to be a local hero about all of your veggies and cheeses and meats, you might as well be a local hero about your Christmas tree if you're going to get one, too, and get it from a local Christmas tree farm, perhaps even Ioka Valley Farm in Hancock. Missy Lieb of Ioka Valley Farm. Thank you so much for uh, explaining us the ins and outs of, of Christmas tree maintenance. They've got a breakfast with Santa this coming weekend on December 2nd. And third, you can find out about all of our local heroes and even our other local hero Christmas tree farms by going to buylocalfood.org. If I could just add one more support for all the local producers out there, not just the Christmas tree piece, but check out their farm stands and the local products that they have. Visit the local farm stands for some unique and local presents to give out at the holidays. In my heart is a Christmas tree farm. Soon, we'll hear about the 100-plus trees that have been donated to the Festival of Trees at the Mass Mutual Center and how those donations help out the Springfield Boys and Girls Club. But first, digging into the new Ken Burns documentary with Mr. Universe, Salman Hamid, who just so happens to teach at Ken Burns' alma mater. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NEPM. To boldly go where no man has gone before. As I was around my dining room table on Thanksgiving weekend, Hampshire College astronomer Dr. Salman Hamid, my dad, who's like your biggest fan, was asking all sorts of questions about you and the kitchen table astronomy we're doing right here around your kitchen table in Amherst with our resident astronomer, Hampshire College astronomer, Dr. Salman Hamid, Mr. Universe. So yeah, you really uh, brought the family together. He loves what you have to say. He loves your energy, loves your accent too. So that's all great. And you had a, uh, an interesting Thanksgiving tie-in that ties into my employer, WGBY, which is a, a PBS affiliate. Yes, and, and um, by the way, say hi to your dad. I will. <laughs> hey, dad. He used to be my New England Patriots correspondent know, on my other show, but oh, thank God he doesn't have to do that now. Oh, uh, what a terrible year it's been. It, well, he was there for the golden days. I <laughs> him. And it's not just a PBS tie-in, if I can also bring in Hampshire College tie-in. All right. Because one of its alums, esteemed uh, alums, the most well-known alum, I should say, is Ken Burns. And I just cannot recommend enough his most recent series, which is called The American Buffalo, which is on PBS. That's right. WGBY, public television, NEPM TV. Uh, these are two two-hour episodes. So you don't uh, have to commit your whole life like most of his series is? Like his v- Vietnam, for example, <laughs> like, you know, 18 hours, which I thought was amazing as well. But if you do get a chance, and again, I have met people who go like, oh, American Buffalo. I don't know. It doesn't fit with Ken Burns. Actually, no. I think it's one of his best series. It is about America, and it is about how the West, I mean, when people talk about sort of like, you know, the, how the Europeans colonized the West, it's a story about that. It's a story about how buffaloes went from being everywhere in millions or hundreds of millions to almost extinct within a hundred years. Yes, it's sad, and yes, it appears sort of like, oh, do I want to watch that? No, you have to, because it's not just about that. It's also about its relationship with indigenous population. The story is sad. The story should make you angry, but that is a story of capitalism. And if I can just tie in, because we talk about space and astronomy here, I mean, in some sense, a lot of the themes when I was watching it was also about what we are going to space. And the reasoning behind it, like SpaceX and others or Bezos with Blue Origins, 
it still profits. Mm-hmm. And you can have those other elements. Oh, no, we are doing it for saving humanity and things like that. But the consequence of these type of things being driven by rampant capitalism, you see that play out in American Buffalo with real consequences to which we are still paying the price. It's just a beautifully done film. His history, of course, like, you know, it's brilliant. The people, the talking heads in it are just spectacular. I mean, I cannot speak more highly of this documentary. So please check out American Buffalo. Uh, And in some ways, it also pairs well with Killers of the Flower Moon, uh, which is the Martin Scorsese film. But spend those four hours with Ken Burns on this and a lot of indigenous people who speak in that documentary. And I think this is a perfect time for that. Hampshire alum, local connection. And also, you know, become a member of NEPM and you get the passport and you can watch all that stuff. But now we're going to talk about what we usually talk about, which is astronomy. We're going to zoom in slowly with some beautiful music behind it. <laughs> Just like Ken Burns would do on an exoplanet. I mean, you have to say, like, you know, that if, if you have an effect named after you, yeah. Ken uh, Burns effect. Like, an you know, iMovie effect is called Ken Burns and it just takes a photo and zooms in on it slowly. Uh, so we often talk about exoplanets. And here we are going to talk again because James Webb Space Telescope, one of its missions has been to look for what is going on in the atmospheres of these planets, exoplanets that are orbiting other stars. So not only now we are, we have detected over 5,000 planets around other stars. Now we are starting to get information about the atmospheres of these planets. Uh, And the method, the way we use is the eclipsing method, meaning to say that these planets are in most cases still too faint and too close to a bright star. So the way we detect information, the way we get information is when this planet come in front of the star. So it in kind of an eclipses, meaning to say that light from a star dips a little. But on its edges, when it's just about to get to the star, you can actually see light from the star go through the atmosphere of the planet and that can provide us with a lot of information. Through spectroscopy. Through spectroscopy, exactly. Which means like the visible light spectrum, different things in an environment will manifest in certain colors of the spectrum and these telescopes can see that and know what's in that atmosphere light years away because of the light. Right, and that's and you need very precise precision. You need very uh, detailed and precise observations for that and that's where James Webb Space Telescope comes in and also in the infrared it makes it easier. And, and of course, we want to look at, can there be any life signatures? So for example, I mean, like, you know, oxygen, which on Earth, at least, it was produced by earlier life forms, and, and now it's in our atmosphere. So maybe that could be a signature for life. So there are all of these things, but we are slowly getting in that direction. And so there is a new observations, the new results that have just come out where there is an exoplanet named WASP-80b. It's where all the white Anglo-Saxon Protestants <laughs> live. <laughs> You need to colonize your own planet. There you go. <laughs> and uh, and uh, this exoplanet is uh, what astronomers call warm Jupiter. They can be hot Jupiters, uh-huh. which are sort of like, you know, a, a thousand degrees or so, or 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit in their temperature. And you have uh, our own Jupiter, which is much, much cooler, like minus 200 degrees Fahrenheit. And then you have warm Jupiters, which is about like a thousand degrees. And by Jupiters, they mean like Jupiter-sized Jupiter planets size that planet. are gaseous like that? That's right. So it's a big planet and it's a gaseous planet. And those are easy to observe. WASP-80 system 
It is about 160 light years away, so relatively close. And this particular planet uh, goes around it every three days. Uh -huh. So you get actually a lot of chances to actually observe it. And the star that it's orbiting is a red dwarf. So it's a, a star that is much smaller in size, so it's not as hot as our sun. And it's actually a bit younger than our sun as well. It's about a billion years old or so, unlike our sun, which is four and a half billion years old. Now, here is the thing. Astronomers have detected methane in the atmosphere of WASP-80b. Which means there are cows there burping. That's exactly right. Then, Jump to conclusions. <laughs> <laughs> so methane is one of those elements which can provide potential signatures. There has been debate about whether there is methane on Mars uh, because we do think like, you know, maybe it's cyclical. Maybe it's from microbes or some other things, belching Martian cows. Uh, <laughs> but we should be clear about it that there are also natural ways in which methane can be in the atmospheres. In fact, non-living ways. Non-living yeah. ways. Yes, it's all natural. It's all natural. I have to say, <laughs> non-living ways, meaning to say, I mean, Saturn, Uranus, and Neptune. Saturn. I know Uranus yeah, creates know. methane in I my household. Just fell we into, walked into that. that one. It was like a black hole. I, that's exactly right. So, so it's available. It's visible. But here is the case that in this particular system, methane has been detected. Now, methane has been detected in some other exoplanets as well, including a much more interesting one. And we talked about it. It's K218b. Of course, you remember, uh, Monty, about that. No, probably you don't. No. That was actually a super Earth. And not only methane was detected, but a lot of water vapor in it as well. And in fact, that particular planet uh, was in the habitable zone, uh, meaning to say that it was at a distance from its star where water can be in liquid form. And people thought that that might be a water planet, an Hycean planet. So why did I bring up after Thanksgiving, like this particular planet, WASP-80b, it has methane, but it's warm Jupiter. It's not like the Earth. Well, no particular reason, but, <laughs> but it has its other names as well. It's an official name. In 2019, International Astronomical Union, and it was its 100th anniversary, it had a name in exoplanet, not competition, but it suggested to different countries that they could give official names. And IAU, International Astronomical Union, is the one that officially recognizes any names given to a planet. Or, and they are the ones, I hate to say, that demoted, that kicked Pluto off of a planet. But this particular star system, WASP-80, was actually named by Jordanian amateur astronomers, and the star was given the name Petra. Yeah. Of course, like, you know, from... I've the, been to Petra in Jordan. I've is, never if, been there. If you've seen Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, it is when they go into where the Holy Grail is, that's it. We're named the Dog Indiana. The facade into this rock structure called Petra in Jordan. When you go in there, there is no invisible bridge. There, I was there literally with people that are like, where are all the... Obstacles. I was like, kid, that's a movie. He chose poorly. There's, there's no knight that's been living for hundreds of years here. Well, here. so here is this other connection. So the star was named Petra, uh -huh. and the planet, which we are talking about, WASP-80b, small b, that's how planets are designated, was named Wadi Ram. And Wadi Ram, Wadi means uh, valley, yeah. right? And so Wadi Ram is another, it's sort of like, you know, city in a, in a desert, and that's the place which looks a lot like Mars. And in fact, you're talking about movies, Lawrence of Arabia, the movie and Lawrence of Arabia himself, actually, T.E. Lawrence, <laughs> he actually went around there too. You are an Englishman. Are you not loyal to England? 
to England and to other things. But not just Lawrence of Arabia, but The Martian, that was also shot over there. Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. So anytime you need a set that looks like another planet or Mars, this is this Wadi Ram? Wadi Ram and Dune. Ah, Arrakis. So this is Arrakis. David Lynch Dune uh, or I, New Dune? I I don't know. I think the, probably the New Dune. The original Dune was shot somewhere in high in the clouds. <laughs> no, it's the at least the New Dune that I know. Uh, part one and part two is also over there. So that is actually really cool. So I was looking at it. I was like, I just wanted to tie into that and. If you get a chance, go look at some of the videos of Wadi Ram. It's W-A-D-I-R-U-M-M. And it's just an amazing place. And there are places, and here is uh, space, uh, not space tourism, but certainly Jordanian tourism thing. <laughs> there are these luxury campsites over there. You can do glamping <laughs> over there. And I love it. And I also know, uh, I also um, happen to know uh, Mac Malkavi, his uh, Jordanian, uh, who's the founder of uh, this uh, nonprofit, I think Borderless Labs, which actually does Mars simulations. So they have habitats that are just like Mars and they try to live like that as well. And um, these Borderless Labs, they do bring students from other universities and other colleges and they come in over there they do mars experiments rover or whatever like you know different things but i know that he has also or they have also brought in uh, people from jordan and from uh, from refugee camps and stuff like that and train them as astronauts they would bring them to the us also from nasa facilities and others but it all starts down at Wadi Rum, which is, looks really like Mars. If you're not paying attention, you can easily say, I was on Mars. Right. Or and Stanley Kubrick could fake a moon landing there, let's say. That's right. <laughs> landing on Mars. Which, by the way, was, was the premise of a Capricorn 1. Now I'm going way deep into the bad science fiction. But yes, Capricorn 1 was the fake moon, Mars landing. I don't know where it was shot. But uh, it's quite likely it may have been over there. So... Coming back to away from the movies, going back to this particular exoplanet, WASP 80b. This is 163 light years away, and now we know that in its atmosphere, you have methane. It's interesting, we don't know why. Probably it's just like in our own solar system, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, uh, Neptune. I mean, that's how that is over there. But a way to think about it, and one of the people and the authors uh, of the study said, we are now looking at atmospheres of exoplanets the way we were looking at atmospheres of our own solar system, of the planets in our own solar system about 50 years ago. And the imagination that it goes into creating science fiction is inspirational towards science fact. And now we've got this planet 167 light years away with a little nod to uh, one of our, our great location spots for some of our great science fiction films. Absolutely. And, and I just love that connection. Like, you know, and, and I just look at the pictures. I would love to go there. Monty, we need to do a field trip. Uh, to Jordan? There, to I, Jordan. Love, I had a great I mean, time in Jordan. How long were you there? I was only there for a few days. Okay. I was spending most of my time in Jerusalem and then going to Jordan. Spent a lot of time in Cairo and all over the Middle East. And it's I, a beautiful and I, place. And I, and I should mention that you've also spent how many months in India? I spent, I went there once for a month and then I went back again for three months. So yeah. We have to bring you to Pakistan. That's where you're going later this afternoon. I am actually later today. <laughs> I would love to go to Pakistan. <laughs> all right, we'll do that. <laughs> Up next, all sorts of arboreal delights. 
donated by the Greater 413 community to help the Springfield Boys and Girls Club. We take a stroll through the Festival of Trees at the Mass Mutual Center downtown. You're listening to the Fabulous 413 on 88.5 NEPM. Was there ever a year in this 20-year history of the Festival of Trees where you were like, we're going to do it with real Christmas trees, but then it was like an epic pine needle disaster in, in the Mass Mutual Center? Yeah, and that's oh, where it stops. Whoa. That's where it stops. Did it, so it did anybody, No. Oh, oh, I thought this was, I can't wait to no. hear this story. Like, this yeah, story's going to be amazing. Been good. No, 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 because right away, um, no, we all knew that it had to be artificial. No one's going to be watering that many trees. Yeah, that alone would have been water. ridiculous, yeah. yes. My name is Stacy Magira. I am the chairwoman for the Festival of Trees. We are at, inside the Mass Mutual Center, downtown Springfield, holiday music playing in the background, and how many trees are we surrounded by in this indoor mm -hmm. Festival of Trees? Our forest has 134 trees in it this year. Wow, that's yeah. a lot. For those who aren't familiar with this event, tell us what the Festival of Trees is and for. The Festival of Trees is for the Springfield Boys and Girls Club. This is our largest fundraiser. Last year we raised $340,000. We are open for 17 days. People have donated Christmas trees. These are artificial trees and they are donated by businesses, individuals, civic groups, key clubs, anyone who wants to donate a tree. And then once they set them up, we open to the public and we raffle them off. So the public buys raffle tickets and they put a ticket in whatever tree they would like to win. So many trees have gift cards or some have household goods like KitchenAid mixers um, or there's a Barbie tree, there's a Taylor Swift tree, there's a Well, tree. I already saw the Swifty tree. You did, yeah. yeah. It's me. And the Darth Vader tree. A Darth Vader tree. Well, that one was very creative. I will say that Darth Vader tree yeah. is pretty good. Impressive. Yeah, they did a nice job. Most impressive. How about the snowman tree? Yes. There's like three snowman tree in the room, and those were very creative did as well. Did you see a tree made out of a kayak? There's a tree made out of a kayak. Yeah. So There's would... also a tree made out of a tent. There's a wheelbarrow tree as yeah, well. I saw that one too. <laughs> People are very creative. <laughs> so you support the Springfield Boys and Girls Club yes. by buying the tickets and then you yes. come and decide which tree tickles your fancy. Exactly. And then you get the tree and yeah. everything and under everything, the tree. Everything on and under the tree, from the treetop to the tree skirt, you get everything. For some people, they want a new beautiful tree in their home. And some people love getting all the gift cards that might come with a tree. And other people like the, the bottles of wine that come under the tree. <laughs> I noticed that. <laughs> um, some have lot of scratch lottery tickets on them. So who knows? You could be a millionaire just for coming to the Festival of Trees. You should kick back to the Boys and Girls Club if you become a millionaire. That's like <laughs> when you get a lottery yeah. Take yeah. it as a gift. If you win, you got to at least tip out you the person who gave you the gift. Tip out to yeah. the Festival of Trees. We yeah. would appreciate that, yes. Do the people that donate decorate them themselves, or do yes. they basically donate all the things they want on the tree and you're responsible for getting it up on the tree? Yeah, no, our donors are pretty awesome and they put up the trees themselves because really they are, this is their creativity. This is them wanting to show the public what who they are. So do you work with the Springfield Boys and Girls Club apart from the Festival of Trees or is this your, your main role with that? So I'm on the board of directors uh -huh. with the Springfield Boys and Girls Club. So being on the board, um, I decided that the way I wanted to uh, function on the board was to help with fundraising. And so I've been doing this, uh, I've been chairwoman of this event now since 2013, but I joined this committee back in 2003. Mm -hmm. So I've been doing this for over 20 years. 
the Festival of, of Trees itself? Yes, yes. How long has this event been going? This is our 23rd year. So tell me about the work of the Springfield Boys and Girls Club and what made you want to be part of that board in the first place. Yeah, so I actually became part of the committee for the festival first. That's how they drew me in. After having that first experience that year, they invited me to be on the board of directors. So I was on the board, then I had my children, and then I was the chairwoman of the board. And then when that term ended, they asked me if I would be the chairwoman of the festival to help keep it going and to help it grow. Back in my first year, with festival 20 years ago we had raised about $38,000 and now 23 years later we raised $340,000 so we definitely, <laughs> we definitely have grown through the years yeah, yeah. last year we had just under 20,000 people come through That's so I'm aiming high I want to hit that 20 and go higher if we can this year <laughs> and I will say our opening day broke all of our records in revenue and attendance mm -hmm. so we were thrilled to see that that people were coming out and that was Black Friday that was the day after Thanksgiving and people were thrilled to come we had entertainment and you can see by our stage here we do have entertainment throughout our event mostly on the weekends these would be dance groups choral groups from schools to dance studios we have a drum line coming in we're with Stacy who is the queen tree of the festival of trees here at the math thank mutual you, center in downtown Springfield you've been working with uh, the Boys and Girls Club of Springfield yes. for 20 years it's gone from raising a significant amount of money to a really significant amount of money tell us how you've seen that money play out in the work that the Springfield Boys and Girls Club does year in and right. year out so yeah the Springfield Boys and Girls Club has been an icon in this city um, for over a hundred years so it is a, a building that houses phenomenal people who do incredible things for kids and these kids may not have the same shot that they do once they walk through our doors. We have mentors who are teaching them everything from doing their own finances to teaching them sports to dance to cooking, um, ping pong, lacrosse, basketball, baseball. We try to get these kids to learn things that they may not be able to get from their home, maybe because they're in foster care or from another country and new to the area. Um, they come in, they pay a nominal fee to be a member for the year. It's all drop-in and then they get to be with us all week long, including Saturdays. We have a swimming program. We take them out for um, a work program as well. So they are exposed to be well-rounded adults. Have you always had like a hundred plus yes. trees? Yeah, like, yeah. All I, um, in those early years, actually the first year I was in, I think we had maybe 103 trees. Yeah, for 20 years, we've always had over a hundred trees, yes. Since we moved to this location at Mass Mutual Center, we've always had 130-ish. Where was it before? Tower Square. Ah. Yeah, we were at Tower Square until 2017. And then we moved into this space, which gave us you know, 18,000 square feet to be able to host <laughs> the event and have our entertainment. Mm -hmm. Maybe you have a whole stage and setup for the entertainment too. Yeah. Like there's yeah. seating like, for seating. 300 people. Yes. Yep. So all the parents, aunts, uncles, cousins, grandparents can can come and watch their child on the stage. Oh, yes. that's good. I thought maybe you live raffled them off on stage uh, there. That's with, what I was thinking too. Yeah. Which is, I've been there. Not a fun, not a fun event yeah. to watch. Especially it's when not. you have like a hundred things to go through. Yeah, like. right. And we're not pulling names, so the raffle tickets are set up in such a way that there are numbers. Each yeah. person has a number. It just yeah. becomes elaborate, boring it, bingo at that point. It really, yeah. really does. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Cece from the Boys and Girls Club of Springfield, is there a tree here that 
I know that you're in charge of all the trees, but that you secretly have designs on them. Show oh, us your favorites. I'm sorry, I have to take the fifth on that. No, okay. <laughs> Show us your favorites. Oh, you want to see some of my favorites? Yeah. Okay, okay, fine. We will go look for some of the favorites then. Every year, um, families donate trees in memory of someone, and those are always very touching because those families will share their stories with us about the person who passed and why this is important to them. There's trees that have the favorite things of the person who may have passed. So here's one, Karen's favorite foods. So this was someone who passed, and so all the different family members came and donated things that they knew Karen would like. Wonderful. It's right next to a Willy Wonka tree that has a Wonka hat on it and some beautiful uh, purple, purple ribbon all over it. And There's also a, quite a few baby yes. trees. There are, yep. And the snowman tree, very creative with tool between all the branches to make it look like a real snowman. As far as real beauty goes, this donor is one of my favorites. This is Jeannie's Weenies. She has a, a, a food truck in the East Long Meadow area and she's been a donor of ours for years. She has some wine under her tree and um, she always does a beautiful job when she decorates. Yeah, so she's I got that, that fake snow look on the tree, she which does. I really yeah, like. The yeah. flocking, yeah. that's flocking. It's flocking. You're, you're, you're gonna, you're gonna learn, learn the terms. You are. Yeah. <laughs> Tool. We already learned that. Yeah, they're not just a, an awesome band. You, you, no, they're not. They're they're an iffy band. <laughs> Their music is good. people who are creative so you have the tent tree over there and the inflatable motorcycle from Wicked Cycles and then Tommy Carr did a Barbie tree with its own uh, Volkswagen bug convertible it's got the Barbie dream house so like you would it does. you would put your ticket in there and you would leave with a Barbie dream house from like the movie with the elevator and all that yeah. but we were noticing that you would have to modify it yourself if you wanted to turn it into the Mojo Dojo Casa house yeah just a couple horseshoes and you're good oh okay you know now that your Barbies aren't around to run everything we can do our hair however we like I have hats. Did Good you see the Barbie movie? I did not. Oh, I you did should not. see it. Okay, I guess, yeah. This tree here has a couple lottery scratch tickets on it. Um, I don't remember the value off the top of my head, but you can see that they have a lot of them. A lot so of a them. A lot of them. Yep. That's, a, that's a professional term. A lot of them? <laughs> a lot of them. It is a lot. <laughs> it's a lot of trees. Not now. All the, all the time. All the time. All the time. Okay. Santa comes to visit us. Oh my goodness, there's a yes, sleigh over there. There is, there's a sleigh. Oh, wait, and wait a Don't get on it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> don't get on it, Santa. Yeah, Santa stands behind the sleigh. Oh yeah, wow. Santa's got some work to do. The sleigh is one of those, you must be under this high to ride this this ride yeah. sort of things. Yeah. Santa is here on the weekends, Saturday okay. and Sunday. So if you go to our website, you can see what his hours are. Santa's busy this weekend. Is that Ioka Farm, the Christmas tree farm? And the, oh and the... yeah, he's, he gets around. Yeah. yeah. Hang on. <laughs> There's two Taylor Swift trees. I know, I saw the second one over there, so. It's me, hi. If you're a Swifty, there's a Swift tree for you. And I asked this tree donor, I said, so where's Kelsey? And she says, oh no, this is only Taylor Swift. Wait, the other Taylor Swift tree says something about Travis Kelsey on it. Oh yeah, it's a reference to her song. It says, karma. Karma is the guy on the Chiefs. That's my best Taylor Swift. Oh, that's very good. And my kids want, yeah. would want this tree. <laughs> so yes, that was their nod to Kelsey, but the other tree refused. Because they're going to be broken up yeah. soon anyway, and we'll have yeah. a great new yeah. album about it. Oh. But this is another beautiful tree, Glitz and Glam, and she always does a beautiful job as well. Um, a feather boa is in oh, yeah. this tree. Nice. Yeah, how gorgeous is that? I know you've wanted one. I totally do. You want a feather boa. That's how I make the Yuletide gay. From you. She's used to it. She's used to it. You just ignore it. You just ignore it. It's what's happened to me my whole life. Just ignore it. Make the Yuletide gay.
again. Oh, did you see the Mercedes in the room too? Yeah, there's so. a tiny little kid. Like you'd have to be a toddler to go in that Mercedes. Correct. Yes, yes. But it's a it's a Benz in the room, all the same. Yeah. With a beautiful tree and you know some other. Then she's got a few other things that come with her tree as well. You got so. a toboggan. There, Where? Those are snow like, tubes. Those are snow tubes. I feel like it's the, like you didn't call them. A toboggan that? is a big wooden thing, I in my opinion, right, that will right. kill you really? if it runs yeah. over you. Okay, yeah. that's like not... its blades will like are dangerous on gun, coming down a mountain at you at top speed. <laughs> that is not what we called them growing up. <laughs> okay. Coming down the mountain. What's your name? Mary Hauser. I am another manager at the festival. What I want to say is our fearless leader, Stacy Magira deals with thousands of people a year. She's on her second generation of this festival. She knows many of the people who walk through the door to see the trees. She knows all the vendors, of course, and tree donors and their families, and hundreds of volunteers who are, will tell you they are here because of Stacy McGuire. She is kind and considerate and organized and thoughtful, and as a leader, we just couldn't have anybody better. How many volunteers work on this? Hundreds. We have like 300 shifts to cover. Oh, so, whoa. Yeah, yeah, whoa. Yeah, yeah. And I will say, you know, so she, I think of her more as my co-chair than a manager here because we, <laughs> we do all this together. And as a team, I do logistics. She does decorating. We work very well together as a team to pull all this together. But if we were to go back in time, this is how we met. We were selling tickets together and just kind of clicked. And now we've been friends ever since. So Aww. we kind of yeah. grew with the event. Yeah. It's wonderful. Outside of the mission of the Boys and Girls Club itself, like, what's your favorite part about putting this event on every year? Mm. For me? Yeah, for you. Yeah. So I'm going to cry. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this is, mm. it's just very special to me. It's just, it's warm, it's nostalgia. It's kids who love to walk through that door and they see Santa and the lights. And, um, I just love watching them light up when they see this room. And it's rewarding for me to see that. And then when I give the winners their trees and they share stories about why they wanted that particular tree and then it all resonates, it's like, whoa, okay, that's pretty incredible. Um, so I see so many things that connect through this event and it just warms my heart and that's why I'm still here after all these years. Thanks to the folks at the Festival of Trees happening through a week from Sunday at the Mass Mutual Center. Indeed. In downtown Springfield. Up next, <laughs> Spotify, which, you know, we find as a questionable medium, just released its wrapped feature where they look at all of your play data and order it for you to take a snapshot of your listening gear. And NEPM reporter Nirvani Williams challenged us to reveal ours, and so we shall! Challenge accepted! You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on 88.5 NEPM. Welcome back to the Fabulous 413. I'm Monty Belmonte. And I'm Khalees Smith. And Spotify has just released its wrapped feature, something it does every year. So you can take a look at the things that you listen to over the course of the year and see how you did. Spotify, we will admit, is problematic as a business model when coming to artists. Bandcamp, which we really loved, is becoming potentially increasingly more problematic. Indeed. Uh, our engineer, Betsy Cordes, what was that song you were just playing? Is that your number one Spotify? Or you don't do Spotify. You do your Last own FM. thing. What do you do? Last I, FM. 
I rip CDs into my computer and then stream them to my devices or add a copy to my devices. Hang on a second. I do that, too. I yes. don't. I basically <laughs> used to have CDs and then got a car with no CDs. So now I'm like Spotify is one of my only options besides the good old fashioned <clears throat> radio. But who wants to give their top five rundown with you? OK, so this Nirvani Williams came up to me today and said, you should do this on the show. And then she promptly left because I was like, Nirvani, <laughs> you should come and reveal yours, too. And I thought that was cheating. But she witnessed as I watched the Spotify wrapped unfold before my very eyes and very telling for my personality. I'll go reverse order five to one. Five, Bad Bunny, Puerto Rican superstar reggaeton. Four, Run the Jewels, incredible hip-hop group. Number three, Punk Icon's Black Flag. (laughs) Number two, Taylor Swift, who was featured prominently in the last segment. And number one, Wu-Tang Clan out of Shaolin, Staten Island. No one is surprised by this. Now, the (laughs) problem I have with Wrapped is that I often use Spotify as a tool when I'm learning songs for my band, The Soul Magnets, because we play a lot of funk covers. So my Wrapped often just looks like a snapshot of the songs that we put into (laughs) the set list. And this year is no exception. I have, um, in doing it in the same way, Turn Up the Sound by The Brooks. All Day Sucker by Stevie Wonder, which ended up not in making the cut. The Groove Line by Heat Wave, which we did at Trans at Performance. Yes. Uh, Can't Back Down by Bad Rabbits and Too Hot to Handle, which we also did at Performance. So your top five are all covers that you had to learn for your band. Indeed. I have no excuse for mine. Although my top, Actually, it, my, it, my tracks have a lot to do with my children commandeering the radio. In looking at it, my top 20 was all covers that I learned for <laughs> one event or another. <laughs> Betsy Cordes, what are your top five? In... Reverse order, it's Naomi, which is a German duo DJ thing, I think. Mm -hmm. Mystery Schools, which is an American DJ thing. (laughs) Monarchy, which I think is an English band. Makes sense. Shook, which is like a piano player, but he does funk as well, so it's a toss-up. And then Bo Burnham. (laughs) The comedian. (laughs) His his music and his comedy excerpts. Ah. Ah. So it all, that's great. So I've been seeing people post... Uh, they're fun wrapped. If you uh, share yours with us at thefab413 at nepm.org, it might be fun to, to check it out, especially if it's weird. Or if you have a question for Congressman McGovern, like what's his Spotify wrapped, uh, we can ask him tomorrow. Does perhaps. he even listen to Spotify? That who, would be hilarious. Who knows? I mean, let's go for it. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> I know that his ringtone is beast mode because his daughter put it on his phone. <laughs> oh my goodness. Thursday on the Fabulous 413, it's a good time to see and show and a good time to stand up for what you believe. So we'll talk to two sets of brilliant performers who take their resistance on stage. We'll hear from Joe Delude, a.k.a. Mr. Drag, the mastermind behind a drag for the holidays, which opens at the Shea this weekend. And from Argentinian virtuosos, Cesar Lerner and... Mogilevsky. Mogilevsky, about teaching and performing music in times of political turmoil as they teach classes and perform throughout our area for the rest of the week. Lots of opportunities to see them. And send a question for the congressman who will join us as well, thefab413 at nepm.org. I'm Monty Belmonte. I'm Khalees Smith. We'll see you tomorrow on The Fabulous 413.